Amen. Well, our text this morning finds Moses, the servant of God, drawn very near to him in his presence. It's not the first time that he's met God on a mountain. Uh, he did that initially out in the desert place when he was away from his people. And then again when they he led them out and he came down and they were worshiping the calf and he broke the stones. And now he's gone back. Uh, and we find him there this morning as we uh, look here. He's gone through these many things with these people and with God. He has uh, faced the, the problem, really the tragedy of the golden calf. It is in some ways easy to understand, uh, but in other ways difficult to understand. It's easy in the sense of for 400 years they had not known God and then they've just been introduced to him really as he has met with them and he's put the plagues upon Egypt and he's brought them out. And uh, it's, 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 So it's easy to understand in the sense of when we get into trouble uh, or when we're in times of uncertainty, we tend to drift back to what we know, to what we're comfortable with, to what, uh, we've, what we've experienced throughout life. And essentially in the instance of the golden calf, that's what they've done. That Moses has been away for 40 days and uh, and <clears throat> they don't know what's happened to him. They don't know really what exactly the plan is. And uh, so after a while, they are away from Egypt. They just revert back. And they, uh, we know the story. They go to Aaron and they, uh, ga- they gather all of, the, uh, of their jewelry and they make this false god, this idol, which was all that they had really known. Moses comes down off the mountain, is enraged, and breaks the stones that God has written with his own finger uh, and then afterwards proceeds to go back up the mountain. And so God uh, wants to bring judgment. Moses intervenes on behalf of the people. It's a very interesting uh, thing to note, really, how many times, uh, you know, the, the Bible mentions to us here, there were times when God was ready to bring judgment, but the intervention of Moses uh, spared the people. And then there were times when Moses wanted God to destroy the people and God's mercy shone through and uh, and spared the people. And so Moses is at this point in time in his life in a very special relationship with God. And he talks with God uh, and goes up the mountain. And we see him as he talks with God. God gives them plans for a tabernacle through all of this. And they're going to go through their wandering. And, uh, and without getting too far ahead of ourselves in their history here, Uh, Consider this morning the fact that Moses, in the presence of God, was impacted. He was different. And he came back with a glow upon his face. Now, I don't mean to suggest this morning by the title of the message, Does the Glory of God Shine on Your Face, that we are somehow going to have this experience like Moses had, uh, and literally we're going to walk out like a nightlight and glowing. Uh, But there ought to be something about us that is different, that glows. If you, you oftentimes will use to describe uh, a young woman who is with child uh, as her having a glow about her, uh, about there just being a joy in the heart as the expectation of uh, that child comes. And there you can tell uh, when they're in, the, in their presence, even many times before you can see the evidence of the growing baby in their uh, in their womb, you can tell, hey, something's different here. There's a glow about you. There's, uh, there's, there's something special about you. Something's different about you. Sometimes you get around someone that you haven't seen in a while and they've had an experience with the Lord and you come back and you notice, hey, 
uh, there's a different countenance about you. There's a different gleam in your eye. There's a different uh, glow, if you will, about uh, your life. And that ought to be true in the life of every Christian. And certainly we see uh, that illustrated for us here in the life of Moses. Now, the, the glow on Moses, the shine on Moses' face is a physical thing. It is not uh, it is not just metaphoric. It is something that he has been in the direct presence of God for an extended period of time. He's been cut off from everyone else and everything else that he knows. He has not had bread or water uh, for 40 days. Now, if you lived in my house, my wife would say, hey, I can go without the water. That's no problem. Uh, but the bread I want. And so give me my bread. Uh, and so and with me, it's give me my chocolate. Uh, And so it is, uh, you know, we don't think in terms of it's hard to go for us in our culture a few hours without uh, eating. Here he is 40 days and 40 nights and all he's got is God and it's enough. It's amazing when we are cut off and isolated from everything around us in life that God suddenly becomes enough. When he becomes the forefront of our heart and of our mind, Uh, He begins to make an impact in our life. And so Moses has this glow about him as he comes down from being in God's presence. Now I want to make just a couple of observations uh, about that before we kind of continue on with the introduction this morning. And that is this. The first thing that I would want to point out is that Moses was unaware of his glow. And sometimes you get around folks and they, they, they sense that God's worked in their heart and they come in and they may uh, walk into the church house or they may walk into uh, up into the, onto the platform or the pulpit and they, uh, they just have this uh, arrogance about them that, hey, I'm walking with God, so, uh, so there's this glow about me. Uh, if the people that feel that way have no spiritual glow, what's glowing in them is not God. Uh, God is glowing on the face of Moses, but Moses is unaware. He's oblivious to the fact that there's something different about him. All he knows is is that he's spent time with God, and God has given him something that's very different. God has given him something that's very sacred. And so those of us and those of uh, in our in our church family, when revival comes in our lives, when God moves in our lives, when the Spirit of God moves in your life in a certain way, and revival truly comes into your life, you may know that you've spent some time with God, but if there truly is a fundamental change in your being and a glow about you as you go out and God is shining through you, uh, you will be unaware. Now, I'm aware of the fact when I spend time with God, but I'm not necessarily aware of how it's impacted me. I may know that it has, but I'm not cognizant of exactly how it's unfolded. It's amazing that uh, the the testimony of uh, great preachers through the years, when they would give a testimony of, "Hey, you know, I uh, I uh, I pre- preached and it was like nothing happened," and then God met with me, and all of a sudden things begin to happen. It's the same sermons, the same illustrations, the same crowds, but now God is moving. Uh, but they never reference that, "Hey, God, uh, God changed me." What's the explanation? I don't know. But I spent time with God, and when I emerged, things were different. Moses comes, having spent time with God, and has this glow about him, but he is not obsessed with his glow. He is obsessed with giving the message that God has given him. Second thing that I would point out by way of introduction this morning is that Moses 
was unaffected by everyone else's awareness of his glow. Sometimes you get around folks and people begin to say, you know, kind of pay attention and notice. And uh, and if, if you're not careful, when people start commending uh, maybe a, uh, a good Sunday school lesson or a great special or a good sermon preached or uh, a good choir special and uh, and people and, and rightfully, man, the choir was great this morning and they start talking to choir members and telling them what a blessing they were. All of that is wonderful. All of it's appropriate so long as the person who's getting the praise uh, redirects that praise to the one who deserves it, and that is God. Praise the Lord for that. God wants to use you. God wants to use me. God wants us to come together and worship Him and to use His people, but, uh, but we should be unaffected by others' awareness of what God has done in our life, as Moses was. The third thing that I would point out by way of introduction is that, that His duty, that the, the duty was Moses'. The duty of sharing the message, the duty of teaching the people, the duty of delivering the law of God uh, and leading belong to Moses, but the glory belonged to God. And so Moses comes down from the mountain and he begins to go to work. And it's also interesting to note that what is described here is the law that was given of God, the law of God. And Moses is always about the law of God. By the time we get to the New Testament, it's the law of Moses. It is man getting their eyes off. It's the same covenant. It's the same uh, commands that have been given. It's the same uh, oracles that have been delivered. But the, 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 the reference point in the eyes of the Jewish people in the New Testament was, hey, we've got to obey and follow the law of Moses. But what they were delivered at this place was the law of God. Moses is just the messenger. And we must be careful that we don't get so, uh, so uh, kind of starstruck with those who God really works through in our life that we do not give too much credit, authority, and diligence to the one who delivered the message when the message was not given by man, but it came from God. Hey, listen, there's not anything about me or anything that I can do or say in this pulpit this morning and leading our church uh, that is going to change your life. But what you get from God through this book as it's delivered by the Holy Spirit can change your life. I love a good song. I love the Word of God preached, but it is the Word of God that changes lives. It is the Spirit of God moving in our hearts and lives as we open it that changes our lives. I have been in places and heard men stand and wax eloquent and uh, really bring home uh, an incredible message and lives be unchanged and seen others stand in the pulpit and stutter and stammer all the way through and the altars be flooded and filled and lives change and the difference is not and the deliverer, the difference is in the one who is in control of delivering the message. Not the human instrument, but the moving of God. So it is the law of God, it's not the law of Moses. We must stay focused on God, on the Lord, on our Savior, not on each other, not on human need, not on human want, but on God. We are here this morning to worship our God and to offer our lives a living sacrifice. Nothing else really matters. I'm here this morning to share with you 
a message not from the pastor, but from the Lord. May we open our hearts to it as we move along this morning. Listen, the world today needs a Christian whose life is glowing with the with radiating the glory of God. What the world needs is to see that as you interact with them, as we go out into a place of business, a place of employment, our extended families are uh, a place where uh, we go for uh, recreation, just going through the daily uh, efforts of our life without effort without realizing it without trying to draw attention to self everyone that comes within our sphere of influence should say hey i see god in you there's a glow about you there's something different about you there's something energizing about you make a difference in someone's life there was a quakeress that once said to abraham lincoln during the civil war at his darkest time She said to him, Friend Abraham, thee need not think thee stands alone. We are praying for thee. The hearts of the people are with thee. The Lord is with thee. To which Abraham Lincoln replied, You have given a cup of cold water to a thirsty man. You have done me a very great service. Or very great kindness. Sometimes... What the world needs most is just the kindness of Jesus living through you and touching their life. Of Jesus working in your heart. We live in a world that needs a cup of cold water today. A Christians who radiate the love of God. There's a missionary speaking to a group of Hindu women. And as he was speaking, one of those women left and He was kind of puzzled, didn't understand why she left, and after a time she came back. The service concluded, the discussion concluded, and he went to her and he said, Ma'am, I noticed that you left and you came back. Where did you go? And she said, Well, I heard what you were saying, so I went to find one of your servants and I asked him if you lived like you preach. And he said that you did, so I came back to hear the rest of the message. And so often it's what we live more than what we preach. Listen, if our life does not back up our message, then our message is meaningless. May we come today looking for God to do something in our life. It is a scientific fact that the moon has no light of its own. Most of us understand that. We know that. We hear that from time to time. It simply reflects the light of the sun. And that's what Moses is doing here. He is reflecting the light of God's glory. He's been in God's presence. Now notice that Moses does not have this glow for a lifetime. Moses does not have this glow. It's not mentioned throughout as he's leading the people. And God and his relationship change. They they here spend time face to face. He spent time with him at the burning bush. Uh, after he has the law, it's not that God doesn't speak to him differently than he speaks to us today. But that presence where he has the glow, once the tabernacle is given, the Shekinah glory of God settles in over the Ark of the Covenant. God's presence is with all of the people, but here his presence is upon Moses. And he's reflecting that. Four thoughts this morning as we get into the message now. Notice first of all in verses 28 and verse 30, the shine of God's presence. What's shining? What is it that makes Moses' life different? What is it that causes him really to put fear upon the people? He had to put a veil on his face because the people were afraid. 
And the people saw God interacting with Moses in such a way, at one point they were like, let God talk to you, but we don't want to talk to God like that. They were fearful. And we all ought to be fearful of the power and the holiness of God, but it ought to be something that cultivates and draws us to Him. As we look this morning in verse uh, 28, and he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights and did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And verse 29, and it came to pass that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, that's an important statement as well, uh, when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come nigh unto him. The shine of God's presence. He spent 40 days and nights with God. We think that we've done God a great service if we spend 40 minutes in His presence. Some people think they've done God a great service if they spend four minutes in His presence. 40 days and 40 nights. He did this. He was in the presence of God. He had a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. When He had a need, He went to the presence of God. Jesus, when He was in times of need went alone on the mount to pray, to be with his Father. Jesus, the only miracle that he ever performed to meet his own needs, the transfiguration, shined the presence of God. It was life-changing. It was life-changing to the one who experienced it. It was life-changing to the ones that they led and that they impacted Three things about this this morning. First, and there are just obvious observations here, he was alone with God. If I want, as a child of God, to come into God's presence and to leave different than I came, then I must spend time alone with God. I can't just kind of squeeze it in. I can't work it in throughout the day during a break at work. I can't steal five minutes during lunch. I can't, uh, can't just kind of uh, tuck aside. I need a place. I need a time when things are quiet, when my heart is detached from the cares of this life, where I lay aside my burdens and I open the Word of God and I open my heart and I am oblivious to everything that's going on around me and my heart is just engaged with my God. That ought to be a daily event in every Christian's life. Sometimes we get busy. Sometimes we get out of the habit. Sometimes uh, life gets overwhelming and we tend to have a natural drift. All people have natural drift. But churches, organizations have natural drift. Uh, if we are not careful, then we have to. Uh, then we will naturally drift in an unhealthy direction. If I don't intentionally uh, work at things in my life that need to be worked on, then I am going to naturally drift back to what I was, back to my comfort zone. And I don't know anybody that that's closer to God. Our natural man always draws us or drags us away from the Lord, not to Him. It takes the Spirit of God working in our lives to bring us to Him. It takes the influence of those godly Christians around us to keep us focused on Him, that we walk carefully, that we walk uh, cautiously as we move forward. He was alone with God. How long, Christian, has it been since you've been alone with the Lord? 
I don't mean how long has it been since you sat in the revival meeting. I don't mean how long has it been since you sat and had a group discussion. How long has it been since you did more than sit down with your devotional book and read a page? How long has it been since you've spent more time alone with God than it would take you to read a page out of a daily bread? Or a devotional book that you got out of the lobby of the church? How much time have I given Him? You know, it's a a funny thing. My wife has this notion, even after 30 years, that if we're not at work or engaged in doing something, some activity, maybe uh, helping somebody or going here, going there, or doing that we're supposed to be together. And it's just ridiculous. I can't understand. (laughs) I mean, you'd think that she'd get tired of this. I had to go. Uh, I had to go somewhere the other night, and I was gone most of the night. And uh, and she was like, "I don't want you to go." In thirty years, you'd think she'd like to have the house to herself for a few hours, but she generally don't want me to go anywhere. But yet, with God, we feel as if we've done what we're supposed to do. I mean, Pastor, I gave him two hours on Sunday morning. And when you factor in how long it took me to get ready, I mean, I don't know about you, but I spent a good 45 minutes fixing my hair this morning. I mean, we've got to uh, factor in all of the uh, of our duty, right? Okay, God, I've done all this for you. I've made these great sacrifices for you. And we get the idea that if I've gotten up today and I've spent five minutes with God, that I've done my Christian duty. And we fail to realize that like a husband expects from a wife and a wife expects from a husband that we're supposed to be together with God always. And when we're not together, our minds, our thoughts, our attention should be with one another. That that ought to be the focus of our life. That ought to be the driving force, the passion of our life. How long, Christian, since God has been the passion of your life? How long, since you've spent time alone with Him intentionally. You see, 30 years of marriage, sometimes we are together, uh, but we're kind of doing our own thing. I've been to some places, we haven't gotten to this point yet, but I I go to some places and visit folks that have been married a long time, and it's like, uh, whenever her parents were older, they even uh, had separate rooms. I think it's because... Her mom snored so loud, she would say it was her dad, but wives are just against husbands that way, uh, that they couldn't sleep if they were in the same room. So they had three bedrooms and all the kids were gone, so they had their own area. I was visiting someone a couple of years ago and uh, went in, they had visited the church and uh, she had to go all the way to the back room to get her husband to come out uh, to visit with us in the front because she had her TV in the front of the house and he had her TV, he had his TV in the back of the house and uh, and he, he liked, she didn't, he he didn't like what she liked, and she didn't like what he liked, and so uh, they had a meal together, and then one went to one end of the house, and one went to the other end of the house, and that's the way they live. It's what worked for them. <laughs> Brother Richard's got the talent, doesn't he? <laughs> the on-time amen, what a blessing. And we see people go the one end, and they live that way, and they think that they've got a great marriage. 
hey, listen, if you want to have a great marriage, you've got to intentionally make time for each other that's not just bumping into each other in your house through the course of a day. When's the last time that you actually took your wife on a date, sat down at a restaurant and had a meal and engaged in something other than your phone and with the waitress or the server? You see what I'm saying this morning? We have this expectations in our relationships with one another and somehow we don't think that God wants the same thing from us. God, yes, wants to be interwoven into every part of my day, but He wants to be an intentional part of my day. He wants interaction. He wants my attention. He wants my love. He wants my time. How long, Christian, since you spent time with Him? Something else about this, secondly, He talked to God. He talked to God. Now, I'm not a talker. I know that sometimes people that come and visit, especially if you don't know me well, uh, you would think that, you know, pastor in the pulpit is outgoing, engaging. I am an introvert by nature. I am not a conversationalist. I struggle with conversations. Um, I, uh, I, it, it's, it's, I've always been that way. Uh, I, would, I would, in most cases, just as soon kind of be huddled off in the corner somewhere alone as in a, in a big group of people having to engage. Now, uh, when I get going, I enjoy it. I enjoy the fellowship. I enjoy investing in people's lives. Uh, but that's not what I do for relaxation. Some people are real gregarious. They just they love being in the midst of people. They love interacting with people. They love going out and meeting new people. And, uh, and, and that's where they find their enjoyment. That's not my comfort zone. My comfort zone is quiet. I mean, I have to engage. You pray for my wife, my poor wife. If we set off on a long drive, uh, we'll, I, I may, if I'm not careful, I can go hours without saying anything. My mind is working. I'm taken in countryside. I respond and answer to anything that comes my way, but, but I'm kind of checked out in my own zone. Just make sure that God's in your zone. Talk to God. Say, well, Pastor, I've spent time with God, but yeah, but have you talked to Him? I don't mean, have you gone to Him and said, okay, God, I need this, 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 and this. Have you talked to Him? So you sit down with your wife and, oh, how was your day and what happened here and what did this person say and what did you have to do about this? That's, to her, that's not really talking. Okay, I get it. Every man in here just had a deep, meaningful conversation. No wife in here has had a conversation yet. They've been peppered with some words. They've gotten some details. They want the fine print, guys. I'm a headlines kind of guy. I mean, sometimes I get in these conversations with uh, a secretary or with uh, someone that comes in and wants to share something with me, and it's details about a project that's going on, and, and they're giving me every little turn. Well, when I got this far from the intersection, I turned on my blinker, and uh, I let it blink 17 times before I made my turn, and, uh, and then we kind of go down that road, and I'm just thinking, just give me the headlines. If a headline catches my attention, I'll ask for some details. That's the way our conversation is sometimes with our wives. Hey, dear, how was your day? What I'm really saying is, 
Give me a few headlines, and if you say anything interesting, then we can talk. Thank you, Brother Richard. But no wife is satisfied with that. A wife wants the details. A wife wants to know all of the little mundane details. That's conversing. A wife wants you to share your heart. A wife doesn't want you to just say, this happened and this happened. They want you to tell how you felt about it when it was happening to you. Unless it's my wife and I was responding badly, then she don't want to know that. She wants to know when I do it right, not when I'm doing it wrong. She wants depth. How long has it been since you had a conversation with God that was more than just giving them some headlines? How long has it been since you poured out your heart? How long has it been, Christian, since you spent time with God? How long has it been since you talked to Him? How long has it been since you fell down and collapsed under the weight of your burdens in His presence? So, God, the headlines aren't going to do today. I need to give you every burden of my heart. Not only did Moses talk to God, but Moses allowed God to talk to him. If you're keeping notes this morning, that should be your third subpoint. How long, Christian, since you've sat still and stayed quiet long enough for God to speak to you? Now, as I've explained that I'm an introvert, <clears throat> that means that I generally don't leave my wife in a position where she has a hard time getting a word in. But there are some guys out there that are chatty Cathy's. If, if you've ever wondered where that term came from, I would like to introduce you to Miss Kathy DeVore. If you're somebody that likes to chat, when you get done pouring out your heart to God, let me be rude for just a moment. Shut up and listen. God, I'm in your presence. God, my heart is broken. My life is overwhelmed. I am adrift and without direction. I need you. Don't then commence to tell God how you want him to meet your need. Sit still and let God be God. Grow quiet and let God speak. He's going to speak through the Holy Spirit. Say, Pastor, does that mean I'm going to hear an audible voice? No, and if you do, don't tell anybody because then they're going to lock you up for about a week in a psych ward. What you're going to feel is the Spirit of God moving and stirring your heart. Putting a thought in your mind, drawing your attention where He wants it to go. Then when you spend time with Him in the Word, He's going to use the Scripture to confirm what He's saying to you. He's going to use a, a sermon to bring it home. So that there's confirmation that this is of the Lord. But if I'm so busy telling God how I want Him to meet my need, I'll never hear the Spirit of God speak. If I want to go to my Bible and just 
find a verse to make it say what I needed to say in the moment and put God's stamp on it and say, this is from the Lord. I can do that all day long. And it's so easy today. You don't even have to get out and fumble around uh, with a concordance in the back of your Bible or with a big old concordance. You can just pick up your phone and uh, look at your Bible app and you can punch in a couple of words and you've got it just like that. I'm not talking about living in a world where we take and we twist and manipulate the Scripture to say what we want. I'm talking about with an honest heart, I come into the presence of God and I humble myself before Him and I pour my heart out to Him and then I allow Him to lead me and to guide me and to teach me the things that I need to know. And then I come down from the mountain. I come off and out of that room alone with God and I face the world. And when I do, there will be a shine upon my face. There will be a glow about my life that makes everyone that I come in contact with understand that the message that's being preached, that the life that's being lived is not something that's put on on Sunday, but it is genuine and it is real. The Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, living vicariously through His child. That's what God wants in our heart. Number one, this morning we've considered the shine of God's presence. Secondly, consider the shine of God's power. The shine of God's power. There's not a lot that's given here about how God has manifested himself. We know that early on Moses spoke to him in the form of a burning bush. But even that is really hard for us to picture. I can picture a bush burning, that's no problem. But picturing a bush that's burning and not being consumed, that that defies natural ability. My point is, is that the power of God is indescribable. Oh, I can say that the power of God manifested itself when this happened in this person's life, when this person got saved, and I can see it in a sense, but I can never really, truly, fully describe or understand what the power of God really does and is in my life. It is a supernatural act. It is not something that can be easily put in a, a, have a stamp put on it. It is something that God does in the life of a believer when they come into His presence and they humble themselves before Him and they engage in relationship with Him. And above all else, what God wants is not a focus on the law of Moses, but it is a relationship with the law of God. It is relationship. This life... And salvation and powerful living for the glory of God is not about religion. It's not about a brand name. It's not about a denominational hierarchy. It is about a relationship with the one true and living God. He wants relationship. He doesn't want a sham marriage. He doesn't want an unfulfilled marriage partner. He wants to be satisfied, and he wants to satisfy his child with their relationship. And that relationship requires engagement. It requires uh, deep, tangible conversation uh, with one another and listening and heeding what God gives. And it takes us into His power, His power working in us, His power working through us. I can't describe it this morning. I can't define it this morning. It is simply to simply state it. It's when I live in the presence of God, my life begins to have an impact on the lives of others, not because of me, but because of the God that shines through. 
the shine of God's power. God's power is indescribable. Isaiah tried when he gave us his vision in Isaiah chapter 6. It's easy to understand how he responded than it is to really picture exactly what he saw. But what's clear from the interaction is that what he saw changed his life. God's power is indescribable, but God's power, secondly, is available. It's an amazing thing that something that God wants to give you that's not even really describable is readily available. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, he said, But ye shall receive power. Power. Pastor, what does that mean? That means that if I try to live for God in my own flesh, I'll fail. If I try to do things my way, I'll fail. If I try to overcome my bad habits, I'll fail. If I try to overcome uh, an addiction, I can't do that on my own. If I try to overcome an angry spirit or bitter spirit, I can't do that on my own. You can take whatever sin that you struggle with in your life, whether it's an alcohol, uh, whether it's a narcotic, uh, whether it's, uh, it's anger, uh, whether it is, uh, it is uh, some other kind of fleshly thing, uh, that is part of our emotional grouping or, or our, our, our personality that we look at and we say this element of my personality, this, this part of my life, uh, the, the way that it's got a grip on me is counterproductive. It's destructive. It hurts me in my jobs. It hurts me in my relationships. It hurts me all across the board, but it's who I am. I can't change it, Pastor. I can't help it. It's just who I am. You know what? I used to really have a problem with that statement, but it's actually true. I can't help it, but he can help it. And I get to the idea and the place where I begin to understand the power of God in my life, that if I look at my life and I use as an excuse, Brother Deck, I can't help it. That's just who I am. That may be a true statement uh, to my flesh, but it is not the life that God intended me to live, and it is not the life that I have been sentenced to it is a farce and a lie from hell. What I can understand is that, yes, I cannot do it on my own. I cannot overcome on my own. But there is power available to me through the Spirit of God that will conquer all of my sin, all of my flaws, that will lift me above all of my problems. If God had the power to save my soul, to resurrect from a grave, then you can bet that He's got the power to help me overcome my anger or my bitterness or my frustration or my drug or my liquor or whatever it is that's defeating you today. A Christian lives a defeated life. They live it because they choose to, not because God lacks the power to deliver you. He wants you to live a delivered life. He gave us the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt to demonstrate to us that I can save you from the power of the God of Egypt and I can lift you from the slavery and the bondage that you have been held down by and I can give you a new life. And the Christian life should be about being a new life. And the shine of God's power is indescribable. It's also available. God's power makes the impossible a reality. You look through, and you see all through the Bible, Elijah making, or Elisha rather, making an axe head swim. He didn't make it swim, God did. Elijah and Elisha resurrecting widow women's sons. They didn't do it, God did. 
manna and quail being delivered every morning. Moses didn't do that. God did. Moses held out a rod and the sea parted. But it wasn't Moses or his rod that parted the sea. It was God. Sometimes we live in a world where we start to think, I overcame this and I, I got victory over this and I uh, conquered this in my life and I got a grip on my life and I cleaned up my act and I... No, you didn't. God did. And God can. And God will if I'll spend time with Him. Listen, the shine of God's power should be in our lives this morning. The shine of God's presence uh, is, uh, should be on our life this morning. Thirdly, consider this, the shine of God's purpose. The shine of God's purpose. Notice verse number 29. And it shall come to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand when he came down from the mount that he wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God. The two tables of testimony. What an interesting statement. It is the law of God. It is the two tables of testimony, the Ten Commandments. Why? Because it is to define our testimony. When I live according to the law of God, my testimony is shaped. When I live in the presence of God, it shapes my testimony. When I live in the light of God's leadership and guidance and His Spirit, it shapes my testimony. If you have a testimony this morning that you're ashamed of, if you have a testimony this morning that gives the enemies of God a reason to blaspheme, if you have a testimony this morning that uh, that you look at and it causes you to feel defeated, may I say to you that in the presence of God and with the power of God, God has given me a testimony. He's given me access to His purpose in life. What is His purpose? Well, first of all, we see that a soul without purpose is a soul that's lost. The Word of God gives me purpose. It reveals to me that I am unable to save myself. It reveals to me the one who is able to save my soul. It reveals to me that God has direction and a reason for me to be. That God has a place for me to go. God has something He wants to do in my life. God has someone that He wants me to reach. And what I'm saying this morning is that if you're living your life without purpose, then yours is a soul that's lost. I'm not speaking in relation to salvation. I'm speaking in relation to direction. We all know people. We generally, at this point in, in, in time, most of us have even family members uh, that may be just drifting through life. They don't really have a, a drive or a purpose or ambition or they don't know what to do. And what I'm saying this morning is that a Christian who has spent time in the presence of God, who is engaged in, has the Holy Spirit of God engaging the power of God through their life, has a purpose. And that purpose is to shine. That purpose is to reach the lost. That purpose is to make disciples. That purpose is to train another generation to, uh, to know and to live for and to love God with all their heart. The shine of God's purpose. It's the tables of the testimony. The tables of that testimony of what God wants accomplished in life. A soul without purpose is a soul that's lost. Secondly, a soul with self-purpose is a soul that is misguided. Moses didn't come down giving them what his goals for the people of Israel were. When they came and Moses was gone trying to satisfy their own purpose, they got in trouble. When they tried to do things their way, hey listen, they made a golden calf. They were trying to worship. 
But they were trying to do it in their way. They were trying to do things in a way that satisfied their needs. They were concerned about and consumed with self. And any time a person is consumed with self, any time you are the most important thing in your world, I'm not talking about someone who just says, Jim, let me make this statement. Let me say it this way. Generally, the person who is the most self-centered is the one person that can't see that they're self-centered. Don't get mad at your spouse or your child or your pastor or your Sunday school teacher or someone that loves you that says, hey, take a good look at yourself. You're too wrapped up and you're too self-focused right now. Uh, you're, you are living uh, in a selfish world when you think that you're doing everything that you do uh, for family or for someone else. Uh, because over and over and over again, uh, what you see is the person who is so consumed with self is blind to that fact. And the people in your life that love you are not telling you those things because they want to hurt you. They're trying to help you. Now, if your enemies are saying that, you can kind of take a look at it and cast it aside. But if you're a husband whose wife or a wife whose husband or a father or a mother whose children or, or uh, a church member whose who's pastor or a Sunday school teacher or deacons coming to you and saying, hey, listen, uh, you may not be able to see this and understand this right now, but everything about your life that you're doing is screaming, the only thing that I care about is me. You would be foolish to not pay heed, to not listen. The life that is focused on self the life that is self-centered, self-focused is a life that is living a misguided path, that is misguided in its purpose. God did not save our souls. Jesus did not give us His Word. The Holy Spirit does not come and lead us and guide us so that we can live for self. He gave us and He came to us so that we can live for the glory of God. A soul of God's purpose, thirdly, is a soul that will be on fire for God. That's a term we don't use as much anymore, but it just, it just describes someone who has an insatiable thirst and hunger for God. Someone that is consumed with God. Someone that has been in God's presence. I would say this this morning, when I spend time truly in the presence of God, a fire in my soul burning for the glory of God is an automatic response. God puts it there. I cannot be with Him in that environment and it not put something deep within me that drives me think of it this way the very best athletes in the world today the best of the upper echelon in every sport whether it's team or individual has reached greatness not because of their talent they reached greatness because they had something burning in their soul that drove them to work harder and to be more than all their peers. That's what I'm talking about this morning. Spend time with God. God will put a burning in your soul, something that causes you to become more than the average Christian, something that drives you to become more than the casual person of your peers. Someone who has the purpose of God burning in their soul will not be satisfied with a casual relationship with God. They want more. They want it all. Fourthly and lastly this morning, consider that the shine of God's face is our portion. It's our portion. It's what God's 
given us. The shine of his portion. He said, you are my portion. I will be your portion over and over in the scripture. I am your inheritance. I am all that you need. And you are all that I want. But he wants all of us. Tsar Nicholas was the last Russian Tsar. In the early 1900s, he was dethroned the Bolshevik Revolution and summarily executed. His cousin was the King of England, King George V. He could have escaped, went to England, but some of his children were sick with measles and I think another disease. As they waited behind, the Bolsheviks did not want to give him the opportunity to lead a counterattack to rally people that didn't want the change to fight back. Nicholas was good friends with a well-known apostate priest, but he was a person who put a high value on hospitality. He was frustrated that he couldn't get out or that his cousin wouldn't help him more because of that. But he believed strongly in that your reward, or you should be rewarded for hospitality. I think God agrees with him in Matthew chapter number 16 and verse number 27. God said, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with the angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. And we will be recorded according to our works this morning. Not in relation to our salvation, but in relation to our rewards from God for how we live. Reward hospitality. Realizing that a good action brings a good reward. So close this morning, close this morning I'm going to tell you the story of, of Baron Rothschild. He was one of the richest men in the world during his day, and he once visited the studio of his favorite artist, and he wanted a portrait. And the artist was telling him as he sat and posed, he said, I need to, I need to find a beggar to come in uh, and to pose for me for this painting that I want to do. And Mr. Rothschild said, well, you don't have to worry about finding one. He said, I'll dress up like a beggar and I'll come in and I'll pose for you. The next day, the financier appeared dressed in rags and just then another friend of the artist came into the studio and he looked at the man, uh, this wealthy man dressed as he was in the rags and took such pity on him that he took some money out and gave him uh, a, a French gold coin. It was received with thanks and then Ten years later, the man who gave the coin received uh, an order from the bank of the Rothschilds for 10,000 francs. It was accompanied by the, with the following note. Sir, you one day gave a Louis d'Or to Baron Rothschild in the studio of Ari Sheffer. He has invested it and made good use of it. And today he sends you the capital you entrusted to him together with the interest it has gained. A good action is always followed by a good reward. And what God wants to do in your life and mine is to have us come into His presence. To come apart from everything in this world. To engage in relationship with Him and to, to pour our heart out, our innermost feelings and thoughts. 
to grow quiet and allow Him to speak to us and lead us. He wants to take your life and mine and He wants to empower you to overcome the things in your life that are holding you back from becoming effective for the cause of Christ. He wants to empower you if you're not saved this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It starts with Him empowering you to believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son and that He died for your sins after He was miraculously born of a virgin so that He did not have a sinful nature to have to pay for His own sin. He was born miraculously in a supernatural act of God. He lived a sinless life. He offered Himself a sacrifice on Calvary's cross and then He rose from the grave conquering death and hell so that he has the power to give that life to you and I that we put in our faith and trust in him can receive the gift that he offers to us say pastor that sounds great how can I understand that my friends it all starts when we realize that God wants to give you the power to believe and then he wants to give you the power to overcome the things in your life that destroy you He wants to give us the power to overcome the things in our life that overwhelm us, that enslave us. The power of God is available to you. The power of God can take the things in your life that you look at and say it's impossible. It's impossible for me to get victory over this thing in my life. It's impossible for me to overcome this drug. It's impossible for me to overcome this anger. It's impossible for me to overcome this bitterness. It's impossible for me to overcome this hurt. It's impossible for me to overcome this betrayal. It's impossible for me to overcome. And we could go on and on and on. And it is impossible for you to overcome it. But it's not impossible for God to overcome it through you. That's what the Christian life is about. Engaging the power of God through relationship so that I can understand and believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior and my God. And that when I give Him my heart and my life and I engage in relationship and come into His presence and experience His power, He can take the things in my life that I thought were impossible and He can make them reality. He can give me purpose you're drifting this morning and you don't know have any purpose in life you have no purpose in your relationships you have no direction about what's important and what's not and you're just confused by all the things that go on in our world today jesus can clear it all up he can make it all make sense and he can bring you to a place where he can live through you vicariously he can become your portion he can reward your labor and he will Are you shining this morning? If I sit here this morning and I examine my own heart, can I say that when I go out of this place and I come into the presence of the people that I'll interact with this afternoon, when I go to work tomorrow, when I come back here tonight or Wednesday or next Sunday, will the people that I interact with look at my life and say, I can see God shining in your life. Or will they look at us and say, you talk a good game, but there's no proof. If we went out to a group of non-believers 
began to preach. And they left and went and asked people that they know that you know. Does he or she live this message that they're sharing with me? Would the answer be yes? Because when the answer is yes, then the person comes back wanting to know more about the Jesus that you preach. It's the difference. The difference is the shine. The difference is the glory of God in our lives. Got to have it, Pastor. How do I get it? Well, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, it starts with put, just putting your faith and trust in Him. Just, just trust Him. You're trusting something. You're trusting somebody. Trust God. Trust the one who's given all. And then come into His presence and stay there until you shine.